Very nice. You're fine. Yeah, if you want to. Good morning, Rita. Here, I'll use a white background so it shows up better. 1999, right now. Shower your friends with gifts to remind them that you're friends and what they remind you. Remind them of what they mean to you. Friends are angels that lift us up when we're down. I appreciate that. Thanks, Nora. She will. She will. And the cats, too, as it puts colors on the floor. Can I speak up? I'll do my best. You want my coach's voice? Morning. Hey, welcome to Bible class. Welcome, Chuck. Didn't catch it, huh? That's a good. You feel okay. That's 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 all we can do. So. Yes, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. Brenda's coming in. That's a good thing. We've missed you too. That's all right. My neighbor brought me. He does all my oxygen. So Watch Wednesday's uh, class. <laughs> we took a half hour to pray. <laughs> half hour to pray. It was six thirty before class started. <laughs> Sometimes it's just necessary. Mitzi, Lex, the the list, the list. So yeah. So when we're doing a prayer service for Mitzi, primarily next Sunday night. One of those, I know we're planning on a focus on a prayer on everybody. There's so many people that need prayers that we don't want to leave out anybody. Good morning and welcome back to our study. Uh, we're, going to, we're continuing our study of the Kingdom of Christ. Um, Chuck and I split each week, but Chuck's taught for two weeks and I'm teaching this week and then I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So it's not really, I don't know if I'm really teaching 20% of that, or uh, we'll get back on a rotation from there. And I'm sure something will happen that once in a while we end up that way. Uh, what's that? Roll with it. That's right. Uh, next Sunday I'll roll with the tide. <laughs> we should be in Tuscaloosa next Sunday. Um, so yeah, so we'll continue our study. We've led, so far what we've covered is the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about the Kingdom of God? We looked at the fact that they projected there would be a king and that there would be a kingdom. Um, so that was, it was a good thing. We've, we've looked at the prophecies. Uh, Chuck finished up last week and did a lot of stuff from Daniel. Daniel's one, Chuck's, one of Chuck's favorite books and it has a lot of prophecy of this. Um, so anyways, we're going to start in the New Testament today. So we're going to look at some of the stuff that 
there are phases. Phase one, we're kind of done with. What does the Old Testament say about Christ's kingdom? Phase two, what does Jesus say about his kingdom in the Gospels? So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say. Then we'll look at other New Testament writers and then uh, what Jesus does with the kingdom following the end of creation. So right now we're looking at what Jesus says. So what we're going to do is not start with Jesus. It's always the best place to start if we're going to talk about him. So uh, kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about G John the Baptist, but we'll get into Jesus himself towards the end of this. I'm going to start out with a commentary from J.R. Dumelow. Uh, Coffin's commentary quoted him. He quoted him extensively on this kind of stuff this morning. Um, the public appearance of John the Baptist marked a new era. He came forward in a twofold capacity of a prophet and a forerunner of the Messiah. Since prophecy had been silent for, two, for 400 years, and all patriotic Jews were longing for the coming of the Messiah to deliver them from the Roman yoke, it is not surprising that he was welcomed with enthusiasm, and that those who ventured to doubt his mission found it expedient to dissemble. So John the Baptist starts off something new. God had been silent for 400 years, the intertestamental period. Since Malachi, he hadn't spoken to his own people. Um, they, are waiting, they are awaiting the Messiah. They are awaiting the kingdom, is what we saw, but there's not that much in the Old Testament really points towards the kingdom, but enough. Enough, yeah, but not, a, not an overwhelming amount. So they're waiting. And what they're in the idea of that, what they're waiting for, their idea is that he's that it's going to be a warrior king that's going to overthrow the the Romans. Romans are enough of a nuisance that that's what they're expecting. Um, and they start out with a guy who is covered with hair, lives in the woods, eats locusts and honey, and uh, does weird things. So that's who they get to start off to, to start the next era. Um, I also read, and I won't. It's a question I've had, and I've always. I've, it's probably worth a good study sometime. Um, John, is it McHenry? Is that the guy that has the big, the big thick commentary? John McHenry, I think is his name. Um, he says that um, John the Baptist is the first to baptize. That it's something new. It's nothing from the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament has washings and stuff like that, but the baptism begins with John. And uh, they talk about seven different kinds of baptism, one of them being baptism for remission of sins that are in the New Testament. Anyways, you see John baptizing, but that's, he starts that um, with God's authority. And that's kind of where we're going to go to. So, I said it's worth more study to look at that. So Matthew 3.1, we're going to start early in Matthew. Uh, a lot of the study with Jesus talking about the kingdom we're going to get from Matthew. Um, anybody know why? Why would Matthew talk more about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom, the church? Why would Matthew talk about that more than the other Gospels? Who is Matthew written to? Each of the Gospels has a target audience. Okay. Oh, okay. So Matthew's written to the Jews, right? Matthew's written to the Jews. Because it's written to the Jews, they need to understand the difference between the old kingdom, Israel, and the new kingdom, the church. So he addresses that primarily. Um, 
Is it Mark written to the Gentiles? Mark's written to the Roman mind. The Roman mind. Okay, so Mark's written more to the Roman mind. So any mention of the kingdom probably wouldn't be such a great thing in Mark. Because they're looking at their, Romans are looking at, they're the kings over Israel. So, um, and I know John's written towards showing you that, the, that Jesus is the Son of God, is really the focus of that. And Luke, He's a Luke's a Gentile. So he looks at things a little different and he's very detailed. But anyways, Mark, I mean Matthew's where you'll find a lot of stuff on the kingdom because he's working with people who are already in the kingdom, showing that there's a change and they need to be a part of that, encouraging them. And as we study on Wednesday with Romans, they're not excluded. They've been troubled. They've been, the Jews have not signed up, they've not followed. But the encouragement's always there that they will. So Matthew 3, I've got 1 and 2 in white, the other ones are in black right now. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does he preach? He preaches that the kingdom of heaven is blank. We start out easy. So we said it? So we said at hand? Yay! At hand. That's it. What does that hand mean? Really close. It's where I like to have my iced tea, right? At hand. The remote. You're going to watch TV? It's a nuisance that somebody else took the remote from where it belongs. It's not at hand. Uh, driving. Um, all the controls on the car, they're at hand, right? And they're where you can reach them. Camille was out of town a couple weeks ago and they, rent, they uh, gave her a Tesla. She had no idea how to use the windshield wipers, uh, adjust the radio. So, she didn't, she said all that stuff, just, it's very weird looking out into the blackness of everywhere and it's, it's all on an iPad and she had to learn how to use, I guess their windshield wiper thing, it's like you touch it and it swipes, you touch it again or you hold it in and it continues. And then you adjust your timing on the iPad thing or something. Different, just different. So, you know, for those of us who have driven a hundred years, we've done things differently. So at hand, it's, it's where you can reach it, where it's very near, is where the kingdom is. Does that mean the kingdom had already begun? No. So don't think that just because Jesus is born, which happens in Matthew 1, 2, don't because he's born doesn't mean the kingdom exists. The kingdom doesn't start till the day of Pentecost, which is in Acts 2. How did John the Baptist describe the kingdom? It's the kingdom of heaven. It's not the kingdom of earth. It's not, it's not they're going to put a, a king here and reign on the earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. That's, probably, that's, a, that's all you get as a description right now. So that leans us towards more of a, a spiritual thing rather than a physical kingdom. And that's kind of where I went with that. So God had been silent for 400 years. What would go through the minds of his people when they heard this? If you were one of his faithful people, as faithful as they got, anyways, what would you go through your mind when you heard this?
You're expecting a warrior king? The, the what? Yeah. I think that's about right. The what? The, yeah, the kingdom of, no? They'd be glad to hear the at hand part, but the kingdom not representing what, where they want it and how they want it, that's not what they're interested in. Yeah, is heaven going to be here on earth? Is he is he bringing the end of time? Even you know, a lot of questions, a lot of questions with that. Daniel four, two forty four. Um, it might bring to you know as they're waiting, they've got the prophecies that they've studied, the prophecies that they know, um, the faithful ones, and they might remember Daniel two forty four. And Chuck talked about this last week or the week before. And in the days of those kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms, all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It was last week we talked about this, right? So the kingdom that's coming will be, it'll destroy all, all physical kingdoms, and it'll never be destroyed. It'll last forever. If you're waiting on God's kingdom, if you're waiting on you would remember stuff like that. It would key in on that kind of thing, I think. But it was cherry picking. It also talks about it too, where it says, a stone not made with hands if it comes to mouth. Yeah, a stone not made with hands. Yep. And we did the, the prophecies a couple years ago. And some of those, we looked at a, a list of prophecies of Christ, and we both looked at them, and it's like, I don't know, I don't see it. <laughs> so, so somebody saw it, and we were like, I don't see it. But, I think some of the things like that, when you, you know, the questions that are there, and you know, you picked up on this one, and I think, I think the ones that were in the word, the lawyers, the scribes, and they would have picked up on something like this. He talks about the kingdom. Well, what do we know about the kingdom? They don't have, they didn't have indexes. They didn't have internet search. Um, a lot harder to do that kind of thing, unless you had the expert, the Daniel, the expert on Daniel, who would be, you know, he might know something like that. Um, the end of that, Matthew 3, 1 through 3, verse 3, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's a, basically a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3, in the wilderness, prepare the ways of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Um, so, what's the mission of John the Baptist? What's his mission? What is John the Baptist's mission? What is his job? What is his ministry? He's a herald. What's a herald? Foreteller of things come. Foreteller of things come. Yeah, yeah. Foreteller spreads the good news, like the uh, the old uh, the old black and white movies. The kid that stand on the corner with the newspaper, with you know that kind of thing, or the town crier. They're heralds. Yeah. So he's sending a message, and what's his message? The kingdom's coming. Get ready for the king. Get your path straight. Get repent. Get your get your life straight. That's his message. Um, the king is coming. The kingdom is coming. Matthew twenty one twenty three through twenty seven. Earlier, when we read Dumlow's thing about John the Baptist, and I kind of skipped up here, and we'll go back. 
And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? So the priests and the elders and stuff hit Jesus up. Who gave you this authority? Jesus answers him, I, will, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you what, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven, or did it come from men? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then didn't you believe him? And if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd. For now, hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus like this, We don't know. <laughs> he said to them, Neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. So Jesus gets challenged on his authority. And uh, when we had that evangelism seminar last week, one of his things was deflect, don't debate. That's what you see with Jesus on this. He's not going to debate them about whose authority he has. He's never going to win that argument. They're never going to give in. He deflects that comment. He deflects that question with another question. Um, he says, what authority did John have? Men or God? What did the Jewish leaders think about John the Baptist's mission and authority to say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did they think about his authority? From heaven, from man. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. They probably didn't think about it until he asked the question. But the two answers are good. If we say it came from heaven, we're responsible for listening to it. If we say it came from man, he just made this whole thing up, then we've got to answer to everybody else who thinks it came from God. So where did it come from? What gave John the authority after 400 years of silence, after 400 years of God's silence, what gave John the authority to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand? God gave him the authority, right? It's God-given authority is where, where it is. So, I mean, it's proven. That's the thing as it goes on. It's not refuted. Um, you might have, you know, Bob the Baptist might have had a different kind of message or something. And we just, you know. Yeah, it started when he was in the womb. Yeah, it started when he was in the womb because he's three months older than Jesus. It says he leapt in the womb. He's his cousin. Yeah. So, yeah, it starts then. Matthew 14, verses 3 through 5, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they had held him to be a prophet. So we're kind of jumping way ahead, but John the Baptist would later be arrested. Um, Herod, the Tetrarch, the ruler of a quarter of Galilee, would have him arrested. Um, he was also killed um, because of his girlfriend's daughter's request. Why was he arrested? Why did the Roman leader, why did a Roman leader arrest John the Baptist? Oh, Herod was a Jewish king? Oh, you're right. I don't know why I said Roman. Thanks. He didn't like what he was saying. Herod didn't like what John the Baptist was saying. You're right. He's a 
Herod's a Jew. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what. I read too much stuff. Uh, Herod's a Jew. He didn't like what John was saying. He didn't like John calling him out on adultery. He called him out. You, you, you can't have her. Well, what do you mean I can't have her? I got, I got authority? Eh, I'll arrest you. So that's why. She can, you know, it's the power of the, power of the key, I guess. You, you don't like somebody who's what they're saying? You shut them up. Um, Matthew 14, 6-7, But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. So, why was he killed? <laughs> yeah, stupidity of Herod. Uh, Herod planned to a, I think it goes on and basically said Herod didn't, didn't like that he was forced to do it, but he did it. He did it anyways. Um, yeah, to please, him, to please man, not to please a woman really, but you know, to please people. Um, if you know she's, if he was guilty of having of adultery, she was guilty of adultery, and again, apparently jail's not enough to shut the guy up, so they kill him. Whose authority to kill him? The authority to speak was God. The authority to kill him was man. Mark one fourteen through fifteen. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. This was John's original mission. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's arrested, John's killed. Who picks up the ministry? Jesus. Jesus picks it up. You can shut down normal men. You can shut down people with God's authority. <laughs> Try to shut me down. Try to shut me down from saying the same thing. So Jesus picks this up in Mark 1, pretty early in the story. Um, I think that, yeah, it's not done appear in Matthew, but it appears right here in Mark 1 that Jesus picks up, picks up proclaiming the kingdom of God. Repent, believe in the gospel. How do you think he, treat, how do you think he teaches the gospel in Mark 1 when he doesn't die until Mark 16? Is it Mark 16, Mark 15? 15 probably. I don't know. It's in that area somewhere. How do you think he teaches the gospel when he... It's not all that's happened yet. The death hasn't happened. The burial hasn't happened. The resurrection hasn't happened. So he's teaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And there's prophecy beyond that. It could be a bad translation of gospel, and it really should be just good news. Um, yeah, they've they've been waiting. He's been waiting. He can't. It's all been waiting for a long time. So yeah, it moves on. And Jesus preaches that the kingdom is at hand. It's near. Okay. So we'll move on to the Sermon on the Mount. That's really all you need to learn from that part. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus picks up the mantra of He carries it from there on. Sermon on the Mount. If you didn't know, this is where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Apparently. Maybe. Could be. This is where most people believe the Sermon on the Mount was preached. 
Um, I got this picture from hikeisrael.com. It's called the Horns of Hatton, seven miles southwest of Capernaum. Just about everywhere I read pointed towards this. It's an extinct volcano. It has two peaks, two horns. Um, what do horns usually represent, Chuck? Kingdoms. It's kind of funny, isn't it? I don't know if it was always called that way or just from all the places he could have picked to teach, why he picked this. Um, I think it's, I think I read it's only like 250 feet above the surrounding ground. It's a hill. Yeah. These are called the Horns of Hatton. Anyway, so I just, I just thought that was a good tie into what you taught with Daniel, with the name, if this is the place. Do we really know? No, this is what people believe. So, there's a picture for you, Denise. It's not AI. I stole that picture. It's fair and square. So, Matthew 5 1, back to, back to that. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, somewhere in there. <laughs> Excuse me. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. What posture did Jesus take to preach the Sermon on the Mount? You know, that's probably a good point. To be on, sitting down on top and, and speaking down to the people on top of a hill is a good point. Uh, this is the BC comic. You used to have always have the guy that sat on top of the mountain that put out advice. They'd climb up there. The early church, and this is new to me. I read this this morning, and I read a couple of accounts of this. Well, the early church followed the custom of sitting down to teach as an indication of authority. You ever heard that? In the early church, the preacher sat and the congregation, including the emperor, stood. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. And it's not just what early church means either. Well, I mean, when it said emperor. It says our emperor, you're looking at. What, what church are you talking about? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, the church, the ones with the records, would be the universal church. As it's known, the church started in people's homes. May have been all sitting around together. Yes, some of them in homes. Some of them rented buildings, the synagogues. Then they sit and they stand. This, this was Coppins came up with they had the thing about the customer sitting to teach as an indication of authority. Um, and I can see that kings and stuff, they sit. Everybody else stands. You know, I can see that. Dumbledore's thing with the early church, the preacher sat in a congregation, including the emperor stood. For an emperor to go to church, you know what church it was. It was, probably, it was the Catholic church, early church, whatever. Um, one of the things, and I didn't put it in there, but um, Martin Luther, one of, his, one of his 95, I think one of his 95 things that he complained about the Catholic church was when they take communion that the Pope would sit when everybody else would stand. They said he ought to stand like every other sinner. So, anyways, there's some records that says that the church the congregation stood and the preacher sat. Don't know. It, it changed at some point. It's, it doesn't happen that way. I've never seen it happen. Like I said, it's totally new to me, and I'm not going to. Too long in the sermon, they said, "Are you stand? You stand. We'll sit. Yeah, take as long as you want. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was different. So." And I, and I can see that in some places Jesus stoops down and stuff. Um, 
it's a humility thing, but he also, go ahead and hit me with a sword. You know, he, he puts himself in that kind of position. I won't push that agenda at all. I just read it and thought I'd bring it out because it was new. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who did Jesus say would be blessed with the privilege of membership in the kingdom? Those who are poor in spirit, right? Yeah, those who are humble. That was my next question. What do you think poor in spirit means? What qualities would represent poor in spirit? No, it's good. I, you, know, just, you know how those PowerPoints are. And they're, and they're linear and they're just there for... Exactly. It's, it's that Socratic thinking. You know, it's just how it, how it works. It's how engineers roll. So what does poor in spirit mean? Chuck says it means humble. What qualities that would be the opposite of poor in spirit? I'll give you both questions at the same time. Obstinate. Obstinate. Wow, look at that word. There's a manager right there. <laughs> Obstinate. Yes, you know, and, and that's it. I mean, if it, it would, it, would it, if you read, blessed are the obstinate for theirs the kingdom of heaven, would you believe it? No, not that jerk. Not that guy. Blessed are the poor in heaven. It, it starts changing, doesn't it? The kingdom of earth, the kingdom that somebody was expecting to overthrow the Romans, would have to be, I mean, warriors is the word we typically use. Are warriors typically humble? We're obstinate, to use that word. If you're going to find a warrior, you're going to have to find somebody who's ready to fight. The humble are not ready to fight. Pompous, we carry the law. We make the law. Forget those Ten Commandments. It's us. You know, we've added our own stuff to it. But you're right. And we get that in verse 20 down in there. If you put a comma in there, poor comma in spirit, so you read a little different. There's no punctuation in, in Greek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people that have no money. What kind of attitudes do people have no money? What's the difference in their attitude versus the ones who have the money? I know it was a problem that the Jews had. The rich were hard on the poor. They would, you owe me a little bit, so we'll throw you in jail. You're not working hard enough, we'll put you in slavery. You know, It was a common thing. So have the attitude of the poor. Have the attitude of everything I have came from God, not everything came from me. That's an attitude that you're looking for too. Let's look at the words in, in plain English. Okay. Little, yeah. So they had little. Little spirit. They, they'd been through it all. And it puts you in a place that you're depending on God for everything. Yes. The two men praying is exactly. The one guy is, he, yeah, arrogant. Thanks for making me who I am as great as I am. The other guy is, I'm a poor sinner. 
have mercy on me. Yeah, yeah, and that's not who's going to be in the kingdom. It's the ones who've been through it all, and they know in their place that everything, everything comes from God. Um, down a little bit farther, verse 8, Matthew 5, verse 8 through 10, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pacemakers, so they should be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said that who would be blessed with the privilege of membership in the kingdom of God is those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, in verse 10. What do you think you would see in a personality and life of someone so righteous that Satan has to vent his wrath on them? Someone who's so righteous, someone so in tune with God, that's not sin free, that, God, that Satan has to invoke, you know, Satan's just terrified. He's, he has to invoke his wrath on them. He persecutes them in many ways. That's the kind of people you're looking at. They're different than the people you would expect in the earthly kingdom. In the earthly kingdom, I think you're looking for, you know, if it was an earthly kingdom, you're looking for persecutors versus the persecuted, I would kind of think. Right there. <laughs> it actually is in black, but you're right. It's right there. You're exactly right. I mean, if you're not more righteous than the people who call themselves righteous and seem to run everything, you're not getting in. Matthew 5, 17-20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Coppin uh, compares the law to a mortgage. He didn't come in there to rip the mortgage in half. He came to pay it off. So once he paid it off, then things are different. That allows, like the righteousness, we don't get righteousness by being sin free, we get righteousness through the grace of God. Um, this wouldn't sit well with the scribes and Pharisees. Um, they don't, they would probably say that he's abolishing the law. He's not, a, you know, and that's what they chased him with. They chased Jesus with, he's breaking the law, he's breaking the Sabbath, he's doing this and that. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. Not a smallest dot will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Chuck says, scribes and Pharisees, had to be livid with this. You get farther along, I mean, they're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. They're the ones that persecute him left and right. It, it, he knows, and they know. Yeah. You're not in charge here. It's not your kingdom. And this is who's going to be in it. Your righteousness will be based on grace. What it's going to be based on. What would it take to have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? 
<laughs> not much. You know, that's, that's my answer. Not much. Not much. I mean, to persecute Jesus, they broke, I don't know, half the commandments as well as half their own laws. Um, how would that differ from the qualification of members in the expected earthly kingdom? I think the people thought the scribes and Pharisees would lead that. And now it is people who are Yeah, it's righteousness of God, not not righteousness as a man. That's it's a, it's a classic Cain and Abel comparison. Yeah, yeah it, it is Cain and Abel. Yeah, I like that. You know, I I think I'm not gonna be able to shove that in in less than a minute anyway. So we'll just start. Chuck's gonna do the model prayer. He did part of it last Sunday night, anyways. Well, Sunday morning. Sorry, I called it Sunday night. Um. You guys have seen the model prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Um, I told Chuck when I ran track in high school, and they did this before like the first meet, and some kid says, if you don't need that, if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, you should be ashamed. It's like I didn't know it. I still don't know it by, work, by heart. So, but it's a model. It's an outline. From verse 10, your kingdom come. It, at that time, the kingdom was still coming. Today, if you're going to use this almost word for word, you'd be wrong. Verse 10. It would be your kingdom came. Your will was done. So it would be something like that. And I'm sure Chuck's going to get deeper into it than that. It's 52 words. 52. 52 words, all it is. 40 years later, I still haven't memorized it. Um, so this is phase two is what we're in. If you take anything away from today, what I want you to take away is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. At that time, the kingdom of heaven on our, where we're at is already here. The kingdom was still to come at that time. Those in the kingdom will be poor in spirit. Those in the kingdom will be righteous. These are not the warriors that they were looking for. These are a different kind of people. And that's what we are. We're a different kind of people in a kingdom that will last forever. So I'll leave it with you. Chuck's going Chuck's to teach the next two weeks. He'll start, obviously, with the model prayer and parables. And I hate to miss that because I love parables. Especially... The kingdom, of those, the one-liners, the kingdom of heaven is like the pearl of great value. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what those are. So, so thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, again, today is um, back to school day. So we're going to have a blessing of those going back to school. And we got hot dogs and hamburgers afterwards. So if you brought something, yay. If you didn't bring something, stick around. Don't let that bother you because it don't bother us. So.